tonight, and we ask that you would bless our time together in your word, that you would strengthen us, and Lord, that you would help us truly to rejoice in the Lord at all times. In your name we pray, amen. You may be seated, and uh, just a few need an outline, just wave your hand there, and I think we'll have somebody bring you an outline. We're in, still in the book of Philippians every time I think this is going to be the last study in the book of Philippians. I said, well, we didn't get that one. And so as I was looking for preparing this one, I said, well, there's just there's got to be at least one more in there. And so what we've done is we went through the book of Philippians in a very broad style to get the big picture. And many times the book of Philippians is talked about as being the book of joy and and happiness and and a very light book. But there's a lot of dark things in the book of Philippians. And tonight what I'd like for us to do is deal with, once again, twice in the book, Paul tells us, rejoice in the Lord. Ten times the word rejoice is used in eight different verses and and uh, there's supposed to be a lot of joy in the book of Philippians, but true biblical joy only comes at a price. And Paul talks about that price here in the first few verses. And, and so let's just start in chapter 3. Let's read the first uh, eight verses here. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you, to me indeed is not grievous, but for you, it is safe. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the concision. For we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh... I more circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ, yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. Now, Paul is making uh, some fairly, uh, we might even use the term outrageous statements in this, but Paul is trying to help us get a hold of something. We, we start in verse 1, finally. And, of course, the biggest joke is when a preacher says, finally, what does that mean? Absolutely nothing. He's still got a long ways to go. Uh, Paul is in the middle of his letter, and, and he's saying, finally. Now, what he's trying to do here is he's not ending the letter. He's only in the middle of the letter. What he's saying is, this is the summation. This is what is supposed to happen if you'll pay attention to chapters 1 and 2. 
if, if I were to ask the question, how many of you could use some more rejoicing in the Lord? Uh, I, I'd say every one of us. We could use a little more joy. Uh, I, I'll tell you, I, I, I feel for, for Brother D'Angelo there with that, I mean, putting that mud on the wall. And I mean, he has got to be in massive amounts of pain. Uh, and he's nodding his head up and down. And, and, uh, and uh, I'll tell you what, I'm just thankful that he's willing to do that work. You pray for him. He came, we were talking yesterday, it was. He said, this is a, this is the best job I think I've ever done. I said, that's what we're praying for. I said, we have some people here that can pray, and we want you to keep praying. And, uh, uh, but here is what's happening is we, we look at this rejoice in the Lord and we say, yeah, that's the goal. That, that's the goal. But is rejoice in the Lord listed as an achievement? Does he fi- say, finally, my brethren, ye shall rejoice in the Lord? Is that what Paul says? No, he says, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Now, I miss Brother Franz. He is our resident uh, 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 grammarian. He studied English literature and, and, and uh, those things. But the subject of that sentence, this is, if you, if you like English grammar, let me give you a little lesson. It, it won't hurt. Uh, it will only help you as you understand your Bible. This is an imperative sentence. It is a command. And the subject of the sentence is what we call, you understood. It's not listed there. He doesn't say, you rejoice in the Lord. Because you're supposed to be smart enough to understand that he wrote the letter and he is intending this command for those that read the letters. Now, that's... Amazing. No one has ever been able to figure that out. I mean, you have to read lots of commentaries. You say, why, why do we go over this on over and over again? Because we don't get it. We think that someday things are going to get better and we'll be able to rejoice in the Lord. But unto then, we're just going to hang on and try to keep from falling out. You see, that's not what Paul's saying. Paul says, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. This is what you're supposed to be doing. Now, now, how do we get there? Well, I want you to understand that rejoicing in the Lord is a choice. It's something that we have to do. Now, let's go back to chapter 1 of the book of Philippians, and we're certainly not going to cover everything. We just want to touch a little bit here. But look at verse 6, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. Paul says, listen, the work that is going on in Philippi is ordained of God. Now, I'm sure that Paul's mind was running back to... uh, to uh, his being in modern-day Turkey there, and he was trying to get direction, Acts chapter 16. And he tried to go east uh, toward Babylon in that area, and the Holy Spirit said no, and he tried to go south. And, 
and north. And finally, he had a vision, and there was a man of Macedonia that said, Come over and help us. Many preachers, when they're preaching missions conference, they'll talk about the Macedonian call. In fact, there's a mission board called Macedonia Baptist Missions, and there's lots of churches all over the country called Macedonia Baptist Church. Why? Because they want to take off of this theme that is in the Bible to do what the Holy Spirit of God would direct us. Amen? And so Paul winds up in the chief city. I like that. Paul was not afraid of cities. He was not afraid of uh, of being where the people are. In fact, that was his choice because Philippi was the chief city of Macedonia. So that's where he went. Ended up in jail. Ended up having the flesh torn off his back and Barnabas with him and thrown into prison. And then God opened the prison and the jailer got saved. And, and there was a church established there and, and we went through those things. Paul's saying, listen, you have to rejoice in the Lord because of all the things that God has done. Uh, past several days, I've been working on my uh, mining license, I guess you would call it. Uh, been, uh, I, I told you the electrical input into the building was not properly installed in a certain section of the pipe, rotted away. And in order to fix that, uh, the electrician said, now listen, if you'll do it, we'll, we'll only charge you half the price that we would have to charge otherwise. And so, okay, hey. Uh, and so I've been digging a hole, and I have to be very careful because the wires still have electricity in them. And, and you don't want to touch them. And, and the Lord has protected us and digging and, and pulling out rocks. And some of them I've had to drill holes through and, and bust them up with a hammer because they're so big that two or three of us couldn't even get down in the ditch and lift them out. And we, we're getting that thing done. And I'll, I'll tell you what. That's not been a source of rejoicing here of late. Uh, ibuprofen and uh, back brace and, and, and bandages and, yeah, all those things, yeah. Uh, but, you see, we're doing the work because of all the miracles that God has done to get us this far. And we're not going to quit. At the end. Can we say amen to that? Do you think that's what Paul meant when he said, Rejoice in the Lord? Can you stop and think about what Jesus has done in your life to get you where you are right now? Do you want to give that up? you want to go back where you came from? You know, that's what happened to the mixed multitude that were traveling with the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. Now, wasn't it? They got to thinking about the leeks and the garlics. Now, I'll tell you what. I, I've had leek soup on a couple of occasions, and it, it's really good. But it's not that good. Uh, I, I'm Italian heritage. I love garlic on and in everything but ice cream. Uh, haven't tried that yet. I have no real intentions. But, I mean, everything else needs garlic. It's just better that way. Uh, 
But I'll tell you what, we can get our mind and our heart off of Jesus Christ. We can stop rejoicing Sunday morning's message. We can forget, or no, last Thursday night, actually. Um, I'm sorry. It was a recent message. Don't ask me which one. I got dirt in my head here. But um, we, we get our heart and our mind off of Christ and the fact that we're just sinners saved by grace. That we love Him. It was Sunday morning sermon that came to me. We love Him because He first loved us. Amen? You see, that's why we rejoice in the Lord. And, and we can just touch very briefly, and I want you to make your own connections in here. It's, it talks uh, later on that Paul, pray, uh, he says, I'm praying that your love will abound more and more in knowledge and in all judgment that ye may approve things that are excellent. How, how many of you can look at your life and say, I am making better decisions today because of my relationship with Jesus Christ, my exposure to the Word of God, and my fellowship in the church than I was a few years ago. How many could lift up a hand to that and say, yeah, that's me. Well, wait a minute. Let's not forget those things. Let's, let's review those things. Let's rejoice in the Lord. That's why Paul's saying, finally, my brethren, listen, God did the work. He performed the miracles. He's going to keep you going. Listen, things are getting better because you're getting closer to God. Rejoice in the Lord. Chapter 2, if there's any consolation, what is it? To have the same mind in you that Jesus Christ had in him. Have you ever thought about that? Oh, we could take the whole evening and just spend on that one thing, single thought. I mean, the, um, the whole world. Uh, what was it Anne of Green Gables was searching for? A soulmate, right? Or a bosom friend or something like that. I, I, uh, my daughter's, huh? A bosom friend. Okay, that was what it was. My, my daughters loved those things and said, not again. Oh, but Daddy, it's so good. The sad story is the real author was reflecting the own, her own emptiness in her own life in those stories. And she never did. Even though she married some, I think it was a Methodist preacher, she never did find that bosom companion that she was looking for. I've got a friend that sticks closer than a brother. His name is Jesus. And he wants me to be so close to him that I start thinking like he does. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. I'll tell you what, I've been married almost 29 years. And it has been a wonderful journey. And sometimes I think, I know my wife, I know what she, and, and I don't. Welcome to the human race. It's an ever-learning experience. Don't ever give up. That's what keeps the marriage where it's supposed to be. Amen? But listen, 
Don't give up on Christ. Our great consolation, our great comfort, is knowing that the same God that gave Jesus the ability to endure the cross, the same God that is one day going to set Him as King of kings and Lord of lords, is my God too. And you know what? Rejoice in the Lord. Amen? Rejoice in the Lord in these things. And we get down to the story of Epaphroditus here. And, and, and you know, I've heard this preached so many ways. And, and I, uh, well, I'm the preacher, so I'm going to preach it my way. But Epaphroditus, you couldn't ask for a more gracious servant. Amen? Someone more desiring to serve God. Yet, what was Paul's testimony? He brought the gift from the Philippian church and almost worked himself to death, and the need still wasn't met. That's not very positive, is it? But wait a minute. Here's where we need to go, my friend. It's not about Epaphroditus. It's about Jesus. Read chapter 4. Paul said, I've learned. Learned to do without. I've learned to have abundance. I've learned to have everything. And we have to... We have to rejoice that God is not dependent upon my ability or your ability. How many of you remember the financial crisis 2008, just for the presidential election? What was the phrase? Too big to fail. How many of you work at a place where you have an employee that's too big to fail? Have you ever had that problem? I mean, the whole world revolves around me. How many of you have ever had to work with such a wonderful person? I mean, it's got to be such a blood. No, it isn't. Guess what? We can rejoice in the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ and His church revolves around no person other than the Lord Jesus Christ. How many of you could be happy about that? I mean, how many of you can take your attention off yourself, off of someone else? Listen, this is the defining issue of every cult that has ever come into being. Is there someone that is too important? Let me tell you, in 1943, in the winter of 1943, there was no honest German soldier or citizen that did not know that Adolf Hitler was a madman and going to destroy Germany. There was no honest person. There were the mesmerized ones. There were the hypnotized ones. But when that winter set in and the troops were freezing and starving, those people who knew what was going on on the outskirts of Moscow knew there was no way that Germany is going to win this war. And if this madman was allowed to continue, Germany was going to be destroyed. It, it was not no prophecy needed. They knew it. But it was too late to do anything about it. Because they'd put their attention on a man 
And he had already became their God. And let me tell you, any man who we put our attention on more than the Lord Jesus Christ is going to lead us to destruction. It's just there. You can't get past it. That's why we've got to rejoice in the Lord. Amen? We, we've got, this is a command. This is something we're supposed to do. The reason it's not a state of achievement, the reason it's not some happy-go-lucky floating on a cloud, strumming a harp, and everything is wonderful, is what does the next verse say? Finally, my brethren, let's finish this verse, verse 1 here. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord to write the same things to you. To me, indeed, is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Now, wait a minute. What, what's Paul saying here? Well, I mean, he had written to the Galatians, O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you? He says, we've got to start all over again. He said that to the Corinthians as well. He said, I'm not upset with you, Philippians. I'm not grieved that I have to, but I want you to be saved. Now, if rejoicing in the Lord is this state of achievement where everything is wonderful, why would he say, even bring up the fact that you could be in danger? Because rejoice in the Lord is a commitment that we have to make It's a command that we have to obey. It is connected to all those wonderful things that Paul has mentioned in chapters 1 and 2 up to this point. But listen. To tell you the same things over and over again is not a grief to a pastor. But it's safe. Because we live in a very dangerous world. And we don't have time to deal with this tonight, but you study the life of Jacob in the Bible. It's really an interesting study as you look through. Jacob was afraid of that which could not hurt him, Esau and totally oblivious to the one man that could literally destroy him. That was Laban. Jacob had no fear of Laban at all. But where was the real danger? Esau, remember Esau? Man, that guy couldn't make up his mind for ten minutes in a row. He was, I'm going to do this, and then he changed. He wasn't angry at Jacob anymore. He had everything he wanted. He was good. He had... 400 good old boys to ride their camels or whatever they did through the desert. Esau had what he wanted. He didn't care. But Jacob was taking everything that mattered away from Laban. His flocks, his daughters, his grandkids. And Jacob wasn't a bit afraid. You know what? You'll find yourself a lot more like Jacob in this life. Afraid of those things that cannot harm you. And totally ambivalent toward the most dangerous things in our life. That's why you must rejoice in the Lord. Because if you don't, you're going to fall prey. If you don't, 
you're going to become victim. Because the dogs are out there. And we're not going to spend a lot of time, but dogs are wonderful animals. If you have a place to let them run. Now, if you have one of those little foo-foo things that lives in your house, I'm not against those things, but um, uh, there's, there's just something that rubs me the wrong way. I don't like anything half done. I, I don't like little pickups. Uh, I don't like minivans. Uh, I like full-size dogs. Uh, some of those little miniature things. This is just me. Don't get mad at me if you want to. But, uh, but there's a thing about dogs. Dogs will be absolutely loyal to the person that takes care of them. Does that sound like somebody wrapped up in personality? Amen. And that's where the dogs come in. You take care of that dog and he'll love you forever. But I'll tell you what. Don't go by the fence and torment or tease the dog on your way. Because one of these days you're going to go by the fence and that dog's going to be off the leash. And they never forget who's done them wrong. They're, they're just like miniature elephants. They, they're going to get you one day. Don't, don't play games. And, and dogs are changeable, are they not? Don't they tell us you, you pick a dog based on your character traits? Uh, and and uh, uh, someone even wrote a little funny piece about how people and their dogs, if they've been together a long time, start looking like each other. Um, I'm sure that I don't even remember the guy's name that one actor with the curly little hair he's just got to have a couple of poodles running around the house doesn't he Uh, Richard something or other I think but anyway the, the, the truth of the matter is if we're not watching We're going to fall prey to the dogs. You know, there's a lot of people that treat their dogs better than they do other human beings. And and if we're not careful, we'll fall into that pattern. Because the dogs are out there. They're always looking for the scraps. They're looking for the leftovers. They're looking for things. and, And they will feast on you as well as anything else. The evil workers... There are people, and and Paul spends a lot of time in the latter parts of chapter 3. There are people that will come into the church for the wrong reasons. What did Paul tell the Ephesians when he met them in in, in the book of Acts as he was passing by his last time into Jerusalem there as the history of the book of Acts is running? He said, I'm not going to see you again. But you've got to watch, Ephesians, because there's going to be people rising up from among you as wolves. And they're not going to spare the flock. Evildoers. And then we have the concision. Now, a lot of people tried to make that Paul was doing a play on words. The concision, the cutting is what concision means. And then the next verse he says, the circumcised. Uh, and we have to be careful about those things. But here's, here's what Paul's saying. If we really wanted to talk to him, we talked to him about 
the nitpickers versus the servants of Christ. You ever met somebody and all they wanted to do was talk about deep religious things? I've often joked about the campus of Baptist Bible College in Heartland. As our students show up, they know absolutely everything. And when they leave, they say, wow, all I got is some tools to understand the Bible. So where did all that knowledge go? It's got to be trapped there on the campus somewhere, right? Uh, No, it wasn't real knowledge to begin with. And so it had to be discarded, didn't it? But the concision are those people that think they found something new. Uh, Years ago, a guy wrote a book about the temple in Jerusalem. And he had come up with something that no one else had ever thought of before. He, He said that the temple could actually be rebuilt on the same mountain with the Mosque of Omar that is there now. And they could both coexist on the uh, Temple Mount in Jerusalem. Now, how many of you believe that for half a second? They did some excavation under the Temple Mount, and it got gossiped, would be how it started among the Palestinians, that they were trying to find the artifacts of the temple, uh, the, uh, oh, what's that guy, Raiders of the Lost Ark kind of stuff. And that started the Infatata. How many thousand people died and were wounded during the terror attacks and all of that? This was back a few years. Just because they started excavating under the Temple Mount. You think they're going to let the Jews build the temple in Jerusalem? And do you think the Jews would build the temple on the same mountain as a mosque that worships Allah? I mean... I'll tell you, you read the book of Revelation, God's going to rearrange your geography. Uh, they tell us that that mosque is in an utterly fragile state. It was built about 900 A.D. It'd just take a good earthquake to wipe it off the face of the earth. Last time I checked in the book of Revelation, there's a lot of the earth, those earthquakes. Uh, and so I have a feeling that something's going to change there, but it's not going to be what this guy figured out. The concision. We had a guy walk through years ago and he said, I want to become a member of the church. And I said, okay, well, let's talk about that. He says, do you baptize in Jesus' name? I said, absolutely. We do exactly what the Bible says. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. He said, no, 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 in Jesus' name. I said, uh, I think we got a problem here. And found out he was, uh, the theological term is a baptismal regenerationalist. And what that simply means is, we, we, before we baptize anybody, we ask him, do you believe this water is going to save you? He'd go, yeah, 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 yeah. And that's why we told him, go, 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 go. Amen? Uh, if that's what you believe, you're going to sit there and nitpick about words. That's not what our church is about. I'll tell you what, I believe this book is the Word of God. The Old King James Bible. I don't doubt one word in it. But I have no use for Dr. Peter Ruckman in his books out of Pensacola, Florida, who is, and if you don't know who I'm talking about, go, thank you, Lord. And and don't go look him up, okay? Uh, I just call the name. If you know who I'm talking about and you have any of his books, do what I did. 
file 13. Any good information, you can get somewhere else, but it's attached to a lot of argumentation. It's attached to a lot of fighting. It's attached to a lot of name-calling. It's attached to a lot of things. I, I couldn't tell you how many churches have been split over Dr. Peter Ruckman's commentaries. Don't need that. That's the concision. We have to watch for them. They're there. You know how we watch for them? We rejoice in the Lord. You see, we worship this. The what's the next verse? Let's read it there. I'm sorry, close my Bible here. Didn't mean to. Uh, Philippians chapter three. If your Bible's still open, and uh, we got a few minutes here, I think we'll finish this section tonight. It says, "For we are the circumcision." Yeah, you know what circumcision was? It was a mark of separation from the world. That's a bad word today. Uh, if I meet one of those people that believe in bringing all the uh, denominations together, it's called the ecumenical movement, uh, I always say, yeah, we're, we're separatist Baptist. What, what's that mean? It means exactly what it says. We're separatists. We separate from other people. We're not looking to join. And if you want to join our church, we're glad to have you, but you're going to have to get rid of some friends and acquaintances and other things to do it. You know why? Because the truth has always separated God's people distinctively from other religious groups. Abraham was separated distinctively, and his descendants after him. Uh, and, and that distinction was given in circumcision. Uh, it connects us. As we read uh, Paul's treatise to the Galatians, it says that Abraham is the father of all the faithful. We worship the same God that Abraham worships. You know that Islam claims to worship the same God that Abraham worships? They don't. The Jewish people claim to worship the God of Abraham. Uh, and man, I mean, they've, they've got a lot of history. In fact, they've even got something that we'll never have. They have blood relation to Abraham. But once you open the pages of this Bible and review what goes on in the synagogue, all of a sudden you find out it cannot be the same God. Because if you love God the Father, you'll love God the Son. You can't separate those two. Every verse in your Bible, the Catholic Church claims to worship the God of Abraham. I want to challenge you, the Orthodox and Catholic Church and their descendants never have and never will worship the God of Abraham. In fact, their history is burning people like us at the stake in medieval Europe and fighting crusades and wars against people whose only crime was they wanted to have their own copy of the Bible to read in their own language. How in the world can you do those things and have the same faith? Listen, we worship God in the Spirit. Every once in a while, I'll be passing out track and some, 
oh, what kind of church is this? Do you got the Spirit? And go, oh, absolutely we have the Spirit of God. But we don't have the Spirit you're talking about. Well, what do you mean? We, we don't speak in tongues and we don't like Benny Hinn. We don't, and, and you say, that's offensive. Yeah, I, I intend to be offensive. Because that's not worshiping God in the Spirit. It's not letting, opening yourself to whatever whims or fancies may be in your heart and hoping, that blaming it on the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit of God will only give you information that's already been written down, my friend. If it's not written down and you can't verify it, it's not the Spirit of God speaking to you. You see, we worship God. We worship the God of Abraham. We, we do not believe in, in the, the physical rite of circumcision. That was a Jewish thing, but we believe in the spiritual separating us from the world. And that's what's being talked about here. And Jesus told the woman on the well, He said, the day comes when they're going to worship, when those that worship God, they're not going to worship at Jerusalem. They're not going to worship here in Samaria. They're going to worship God how? In spirit and in truth. How do you know it's the Spirit speaking to you? Because it's written down. (coughs) And I don't mean to ever be taken or understood as being light of this. But you need to understand something. This world is full of voices. How many of you remember the story of Sam Berkowitz here in New York City? He heard voices coming from his neighbor's dog in the television set, told him to go out and murder people. And he thought he was doing God's work. Well, he was, but it was just little g, little o, little d. It wasn't the God of the Bible. Jim Jones took a whole bunch of people down to South America, murdered them all. Said he was God's faithful servant. No. He's a liar. Just read what he said about himself and about the Bible. It wasn't too hard to figure out how much of a fake he was. You see, we worship God in the Spirit because the Spirit helps us understand what the Bible says. Amen? By the way, can we rejoice in the Lord? You see, we don't rejoice in ourselves. People sometimes say, you, you think you're the only one that's right. I said, I do not. I think the Bible's right. And since I agree with the Bible, then I guess I get to be right. But it's not the other way around. It's not right because I say so or some Baptist book. Uh, it's right because the Bible says so. And historically defined, that makes me a Baptist. And we want to keep things that way. Amen? And you see, we worship God in the Spirit and we rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. I don't think I need to spend a lot of time on this no confidence in the flesh. But this is the defining doctrine. You did not save yourself. Can we say amen to that? You're not going to live for God by yourself. You're not going to rejoice in the Lord by yourself. You're not going to understand the Bible by yourself. 
You're not going to do anything that counts for anything by yourself. It's got to be Jesus Christ working in you. Can we say amen to that? Am I in the right church tonight? You see, that's the truth, isn't it? That's where our rejoicing comes from. You know, it's an excellent, excellent commentary on Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. If I have my attention on Jesus Christ, who don't I have my attention on? Me. What am I going to do? Fail. What am I going to do? Well, sometimes God will use me and something good will happen. But if I get my eyes on me, even when God does something good, I can turn it into something bad. But if I'm rejoicing in the Lord, I have no confidence in the flesh. And, and Paul goes through, and we've spent many times, and we're not going to spend a lot of time on this tonight because we've spent so much time on this before. Paul says, listen, if you want to compare accomplishments, Paul said, I'm more. I met a guy one time. He said, I, I, I'd like to reason with you. I said, okay. He said, now I'm going to get out my flame torch and you bring your candle and we'll see who wins. And I was going, well, you got a fairly high opinion of yourself now, don't you? I said, how about we just change this and I'll, I'll bring the Bible. It's the anvil that wears out the hammers. Amen. Uh, you can do whatever you want, sir, but... Man loves to elevate himself, does he not? Now, here's what Paul says. I don't care what you have in your resume. Mine's better. And Paul wasn't boasting. What's the New York motto? It ain't bragging if it's true, right? Now, sometimes it is. And Paul was. He, he was saying, listen. If you want to talk about accomplishments that a human being can accomplish, if you want to talk about righteousness, if you want to talk about a list of things that you can do in the name of God, he said, I'll put my list up against yours any day, and I win. The reason Paul wasn't bragging is because what did he do with that list? He said, those things were kind of gained to me. I counted loss for Christ. You know, that's a mathematical accounting. How many of you have ever sat down and said, hmm, I've been saving up for a car, this car looks really nice, and you do an accounting and you say, that car is not going to work, it's too expensive, I can't afford it. It usually happens to most teenage boys about 17 or 18 years old. Right about the time they start having to pay their own bills, they find out how expensive. Uh, and that cheap old junker all of a sudden looks really nice compared to all these visions of what they thought they might drive someday. Listen, Paul said, I counted it loss. When I put up the value... 
What I did with my dream car, I put it up beside going to Bible college. And the value of going to Bible college versus building my car was absolutely non-comparable. And so I never even tried. I went to Bible college instead. You know why? Because that car would have been worthless. Probably would have killed me in it. Uh, Don't need that kind of stuff. What I need is to serve Christ. Paul said, I've suffered the loss of everything that was counted dear to me. Anything of value that Paul had. All of his degrees, his education, the people that patted Paul on the back, the, the, the mothers that would take the, their little children and said, if you want to grow up to be somebody good, don't be like daddy. Be like that man over there pointing to the Apostle Paul. After he became a Christian... Those same people were spitting in his direction. They tried to kill him. They, they were the people that put him in jail. The very people that he once served. You see, let's just finish with this. You can have two false responses to having no confidence in the flesh. Paul had the right one. Study Paul if you want to get rid of the flesh. But there's two false responses. One is that we ignore the flesh, we ignore the issue of sin, we, we ignore all, and we end up just living in the world as if we were never even saved. And the Bible says if you can do that, you never were saved. But... All through the ages, there's been different groups of people who have preached Jesus Christ and the world at the same time. Read the book of Corinthians. You can't get much more worldly than they were in eating things sacrificed to idols and involving themselves in (coughs) incestuous immorality, the lowest type of evil. They did all of those things while they were in the church. And Paul said, you've got to get rid of that garbage. You know what the other extreme is? The Judaizers. The Pharisees. You see, they have so little confidence in the flesh that they have to have 300 regulations on how to handle Egyptian cucumbers. Pharisees actually did have that. They had all these rules and little nitpicking things. That goes back to being part of that concision, something that we have to be aware of and And be careful from, because it will harm you as a Christian. You know, when the Bible talks about simplicity in Christ, here's how it gets so simple to be a Christian. Is I put my faith in Jesus Christ, and He saves me. Amen? And then I live by the faith that He gives me. My righteousness is on loan from Him until I'm united with Him in heaven and given a glorified body. It's all about Jesus. And it's nothing about me. We talked about knowing Jesus. That's where He goes next. We've already been over those verses. Talked about having a perfect mind. We talked about the measure of love that, that makes us abound in knowledge and judgment and improve those things which are excellent. 
Listen, the summation of the message of the book of Philippians is rejoice in the Lord. It's not an achievement. It's a command. It's not a state of being. It's keeping our eyes focused on Jesus and not on us. And all God's people say, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you and we ask that you would bring the truths of this incredible book to our hearts and to our lives, to living according to your word. We ask, Lord, that you would help us to be of that circumcision which worships God in spirit and in truth, which rejoices in Christ Jesus and has no confidence in the flesh. Lord, that we would beware. Not that we're running around with a label maker, dogs, and evil workers in concision, but, Lord, that we would keep our eyes on you and our hearts rejoicing in you that would protect us from those that would do harm to us in our church. Lord, we ask now that you would work in our hearts that we might rejoice in the Lord as a matter of will, as a matter of choice, as a matter of obedience. In Jesus' name we pray. And before we finish that prayer, we'll have the piano play.